It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you, as always. And plenty to talk about. Uh, You can live stream us, by the way, LarryKudlowShow.com. LarryKudlowShow.com. I'll run all across the country. We do very we do very well on the internet live stream. Get a lot of listeners across the country, and of course overseas and um, throughout the solar system. So if you want to communicate with any of your friends in, you know, Mars or northern Saturn, you can just live stream us. Larrykudlow.com. dot com. And during the week, please, 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 please tune in. Fox Business. Name of the show is Cudlow, 4 to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. Love doing that show. Love doing that show. Fox Business, 4 to 5 p.m. Name of the show is Cudlow. So we've got plenty to do today, and um, I want to begin with some thoughts. You know, yesterday was Earth Day. Earth Day. Actually, last week was a very difficult week for us. Hosts like myself. It started out Monday with tax day, which is a disaster. The IRS, Joe Biden's tax policies, which so far we have stopped. And then it ends the week on Friday with uh, Earth Day. I was down in Atlanta yesterday for a big conference for the America First Policy Institute. That's our free market institute. Uh putting together research and papers and policy recommendations along the lines of what former President Donald Trump and his achievements and his values. Terrific stuff. But here comes Earth Day. Now, it's funny story, Earth Day, because, like, I don't think anybody really knew about it, or hardly anybody, except CNN. <laughs> Go figure. CNN had Earth Day and Earth Week. But if you actually thumb through the papers, even the left-wing papers, New York Times, Washington Post, you really couldn't see hardly any reference to Earth Day. Nobody much seems to care anymore. I mean, the problems in America today are inflation, open borders, Ukraine war, parents in the classroom. Those are the biggest issues. Uh, Not Earth Day, but kind of an earth-shattering thing, CNN. I love CNN. Earth Day and Earth Week. Now, a little bit of background, okay? Earth Day, the first Earth Day was in uh, April um, 1970, okay? All the way back. I was around, probably many of you were not born yet, 1970. And it's a tough story. The guy who, I'm not going to mention his name, but the guy who founded Earth Day, uh, who was an Ivy League guy. I think he went to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, he had a bad ending. I mean, this guy lived with his girlfriend for a bunch of years. They broke up, and then he murdered her. This is the founder of Earth Day. Yeah, he murdered his girlfriend, and then he put her in a trunk. And people didn't find her for quite some time. And uh, the authorities in Philadelphia where this took place, uh, I'm going to short-circuit the story, but... He went on the lamb, wound up in France. Anyway, he was eventually found 
Now, the girl's corpse, the girlfriend's corpse, was in a trunk in the guy's apartment. Anyway, they finally tracked this guy down after many years and, of course, put him on trial and uh, convicted him. And um, he got a life sentence. He got a life sentence, life in prison. But back to the main issue of Earth Day. A couple things here. 1970, which was the first Earth Day, as I said, was also the beginning of what's called the National Environment Protection Act, NEPA, N-E-P-A, NEPA. And also that year, the Environment Protection Act, Environmental Protection Agency, EPA. So EPA and NEPA have become, you know, very, very, very important down through the years. This all happened under former president, the late president, Richard Nixon. By the way, I was in the airport in Atlanta Thursday night, and somebody walked up to me and said, you look like Nixon. No one's ever said that before. I don't really think I do. Uh, Nixon's daughter and son-in-law are dear friends of mine, but I don't think I really look like I, I met Nixon. Anyway, all this stuff, Earth Day, NEPA, EPA, all the environmental stuff started with uh, Richard Nixon. Now, here's the thing. I want to note this. Over the past five decades, you'll see where I'm going here, the United States has... In fact, contrary to what all these woke, radical greenies would have us believe, over the past five decades, the United States has made tremendous progress in terms of its dealings with planet Earth. Like Earth Day, we are very good friends with the planet Earth. And I will say to you right now, today, here we are, 2022, The U.S. has the cleanest air and the cleanest water on the planet Earth. On the planet Earth. We are the cleanest air and the cleanest water. Important point, because all the misinformation that these lefty greenies would have us believe. And and we have the lowest carbon emissions of any major developed country. I'm sure that's true for undeveloped countries. In other words, regarding clean air, clean water, we're not the problem. We're the solution. You know, we have abided by environmental rules. I'm going to come back to the excessive rules coming up under by, but we have over the years, really, I think, not because of these government agencies, but because the American economy has grown and developed innovative technologies to keep the air clean, to keep the water clean, and to reduce the carbon emissions. It's not really about government. It's about good old-fashioned free market private enterprise. I mean, it's in the interests of companies large and small to have clean water, clean air, and low emissions. It's in their interests. Good for business, good for customers, it's good for the people in the business, it's good for breathing. <laughs> All right? You'll never hear this from the radical greenies. So if any of you want to attribute all these positive achievements down through the years, 
you're in good, you know, you're in good stead. The, the facts back you up. Now, I'm just saying the Biden administration, which dominated almost everything they do, comes from misinformation, big lies about our environment, and this idea that we have an immediate existential climate risk. It's going to destroy the planet, destroy America. No one can breathe. The water is going to overcome both seaboards, all the sea. Just nonsense, utter nonsense. The data do not support that. It's just scare talk. Here's one thing I want to make clear. These radical greenies that dominate the Biden administration, from Biden on down. I mean, I don't know what Biden knows, but I'm just saying. He signs off on all this stuff. John Kerry, another one with a big mouth, wants to end all carbon emissions in 10 years, right? You couldn't do that. There's no alternative plan anyway. And natural gas is a clean-burning fuel. That's the fuel of the future. And I have no trouble with renewables. I'm an all-of-the-above guy. You want solar power? Fine. You want tur- uh, wind turbines? Fine. You want to put them and st- figure out a way to store them and develop transmission lines for utilities? I'm fine with all that. Trouble, folks, is it's about 5% of our power. That's all it is. The rest of it's water, a little sliver of nuclear, And 70% is oil and gas, a.k.a. fossil fuels. And these radical left-wing greenies have no alternative measure, no alternative policy, no alternative structure to replace fossil fuels if you ended them in 8 to 10 years, as John Kerry said Friday. Nothing. I mean, this is dopey dope stuff. But unfortunately, in the Biden administration right now, the story gets worse because – Let's go back to NEPA, right? National Environment Policy Act started 50 years ago. We just got a new executive order rule from the people running NEPA. NEPA is like here. Has how to describe NEPA. NEPA is the gate for all construction projects. You have to pass the NEPA rules. You follow me? Come on, guys. I'm looking in the producers here, the engineers. NEPA, follow. You can't build a road, a bridge, a tunnel, uh, fracking for oil and gas. You couldn't construct a nuclear module. No LNG terminals for export. Actually, you can't build a a wind turbine or a solar system, solar power system, without first going through NEPA. NEPA is the gate. Okay? Here's what the Biden people did this past week. They closed the gate. They have created a new set of environmental restrictions and tests that will prevent – listen to me here, please – any new construction that's what they've done no power plants 
no new emission lines, even if the even if the emissions, even if the uh, transmission rather would come from wind or solar, cannot build it. No fracking, no pipelines, no roads, no bridges, no highways. That's it. It's an incredible thing. It's not gotten near enough attention. I started talking about this on the Fox Business Show, I guess Tuesday or Wednesday, I don't know, and continued to talk about it uh, Thursday and last night on the show. It's so important. It will stop construction. It will stop infrastructure. It makes a mockery of the infrastructure bill, the $1.2 trillion bill was passed by Congress a few months ago. It wasn't a great bill, by the way, only 10% of that bill would have gone to bridges, roads, and so forth. The rest of it would have been Green New Deal subsidies. But putting that aside, it makes a mockery of that bill. The idea of one federal decision, one stop shopping, has been now overruled. You're going to have to go through all these agencies because they've set these onerous standards, the social cost of carbon, on an accumulated basis, they're going to judge the carbon impact or the environmental impact. What does that mean, accumulated? That means you can go back 100 years to Henry Ford's autos in 1920 and then go forward with crazy estimates that nobody can possibly do empirically. 100 years. They want direct environment consequences and indirect consequences. They want upstream producers and downstream consumers and users to all be tested for environmental cleanliness. You can't do that. It's never been done before. There's no data. There are no clear models. There's no science. It's all judgments. It wants to raise the cost of carbon in environmental terms they make the decisions. You know, five aid agencies across the uh, government are going to have to make decisions. You know, Donald Trump, and this is uh, near to my heart, when I directed the National Economic Council in the White House, President Trump's, one of his biggest initiatives was NEPA permitting reform. In other words, if you want to build a bridge or you want to build uh, nuclear uh, power or you want to build windmills and uh, turbines, or you want to build new utility transmission lines, you know, those decisions would get caught up in government red tape, could take five years, seven years, 12 years, 15 years. President Trump made reforms, cut red tape, deregulated, knocked heads together. We did this, my Friends, Andrew Ullman and uh, Francis Brooke were deputies that helped me do this with others. We worked with our own EPA, our own Interior Department, Energy Department. It was fabulous. And we got the permitting down to one to two years. This new Biden initiative ends that. It just ends it. And it's going to be a tragedy. No new jobs. No new construction. Blue-collar jobs, gone. Hard-hat jobs, gone. Services jobs to support construction sites, gone. Power, gone. 
economy gone. I know this sounds a little technical, NEPA and Earth Day and, you know, I know I was up late coming back from Atlanta. But this is serious stuff. (laughs) This is very serious stuff. All right, I got to take a quick break. I'm going to continue this riff and rant on the other side of this break to tell you how serious this is. This is far-left climate radicals working to destroy the American economy. It's that simple. I'll be right back. I'm Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. Larry Kudlow here. So I just want to finish up, you know, Earth Day... These NEPA, NEPA is the gateway to all construction, fracking, bridges, roads, tunnels. These new incredibly restrictive environmental benchmarks will stop construction in this country and will end millions of hard hat type blue collar jobs, building jobs and the service jobs that support it. It will end it. Now, I think it's going to be unconstitutional because it actually overthrows the infrastructure bill that was passed by Congress. One federal decision would be overthrown. That, you know, decisions now would be made outside of NEPA. Now, I know NEPA is a, you know, not a household word, but I'm just saying NEPA is the gateway to all building in this country, all construction. This is a time, I mean, this is the craziness of Biden. We need to be drilling more. We need to be producing more oil and gas. We need to be make, producing more pipelines, more LNG export type terminals and operations in order to put more power on the market in order to bring down prices. Drill, drill, drill will get all prices way down below 100 bucks. It should be probably around 60, 65 bucks. Gasoline prices that are near five dollars a gallon nationwide should come back to about two two fifty, which is where Donald Trump left them. These radical greenies inside the White House don't care. They want high priced gasoline because they think electric vehicles will solve the problem. It won't. They want to get rid of carbon. It can't. There's no alternative structure. You know what else? They don't care about prosperity. They don't care about hard hat workers. They don't care about middle class folks. They want income redistribution and they want this new non-carbon world. It's a terrible vision. It will damage America enormously. But they don't care about that. They're left wing ideologues and central planners. And that's the root of this whole problem. We're going to be back with Congressman Kevin Brady from Texas after this short break. Please hang around. Earth Day, not good. NEPA, not good. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. And with great pleasure, we welcome back a dear friend, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. He was the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee when we had the Trump tax cuts. Trump tax cuts, I might add, are responsible for what limited prosperity we have because Biden tried to reverse him and we saved America and killed the bill. Welcome back, Mr. Kevin Brady. Hey, good morning, Larry. How are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. 
Good. Thanks I, for having me on. I always love being on with you. No, I know it's been too long. I don't know what yeah. happened. You know, Kevin, I got a bunch of things to talk about. I yeah. just, I just want to have a a, a, a closer uh, on this Earth Day on NEPA. Yeah. This NEPA regulations, which probably, by the way, violates the laws that were passed on the um, on the infrastructure bill. Kevin, this will stop infrastructure, roads, bridges, tunnels. It'll stop. Um, it'll stop wind power transmission lines. It will stop solar. It will stop LNG. Honestly, I mean, this you know, a hundred years back, a hundred years forward, social cost of carbon, direct impacts, indirect impacts. This is a direct uh, reversal of what Trump tried to do, and I think it's a reversal of what the Congress did, and it's just going to be devastating for jobs. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and thank you for calling attention to it because you're right. It's not an everyday word, but it has a huge impact. Look, it has one goal: stop development. Mm. I mean, that is at the heart of it. And and Democrats, as you point out, don't understand it stops their development as well on mm. renewables and those issues. Certainly undercuts you know the value of that infrastructure bill to, it, to what degree. It is. And as I was listening, as you were talking about thinking, okay, so layer that NEPA on top of the Biden budget, which um, tries to stop ports from doing any expansion to capacity related to oil or or gas, natural gas, at a time we're trying to help wean the rest of the world off of Putin's oil. Secondly, Buttigieg's, Secretary Buttigieg's letter to the state saying, don't use those highway funds to expand capacity simply to maintain what you have, which may be fine in the contraction states, but don't work right. for Texas and a lot of the high growth. States. Right. Maybe the high growth the, red states. Yeah. That's what this there's yeah. a section in there, Kevin Brady, that it says unplanned, unplanned projects will be rejected and will be put at the bottom of the pile. Un, what is unplanned? Un, right. Yeah. Unplanned means if the state of Texas, if your area in Texas is growing like Topsy and you're going to need to unclog the highways or generate more power. Hell, you could be generating wind power and try to work them in the utility transmissions lines and it wouldn't pass these NEPA restrictions. That is exactly right. And the truth of the matter is I think the White House understands our infrastructure needs aren't necessarily national. They're all regional, you know, and, you know, we've been trying as a Congress under President Trump to push power down to the states and to the regions to address those specific needs. And here we've got the Biden White House going the opposite direction. They're trying to control that through that regulation. And then I noticed, too, you know, the president did an executive order on um, requiring Made in America uh, Mm. products and uses all throughout infrastructure. Look, we all want Made in America uh, manufacturing, including and thanks thanks to you and President Trump and the new tax code and balanced regulation, we saw a growth of about half a million manufacturing jobs in the year after we lowered taxes and become competitive. But this could cost that could drain about twenty five percent of the value out of that infrastructure mm-hmm. package as well. So they just keep heaping, you know, anti growth after anti growth. Uh, measures on top of this infrastructure bill, cutting its value dramatically, I think. Yeah, they don't, left doesn't care about growth. These radical greenies, first of all, they don't care about facts. 
because we have the lowest <laughs> carbon emissions of any of the big countries. We have the cleanest water. We have the cleanest air. It's all misinformation. It's like Putin, Russia, in misinformation coming no, from no. these far-left guys. But, Kevin Brady, you mentioned it. I want you to take a bow. You were the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee when the Trump tax cuts went through. Now, here's the angle. Here's the new angle. We got new numbers from the Treasury Department recently. And guess what? The Trump tax cuts, especially the corporate tax, paid for themselves. Biden continues to lie that it created large deficits. No, it didn't. As the Laffer curve predicted, the Trump tax, the Trump Brady tax cuts paid for themselves. How about that? It is. uh, Yeah. (laughs) And and the truth of the matter is uh, we knew this would happen. You know, we knew if we became competitive, redesigned the tax code, lowered those rates, you know, encouraged investment, let families and small businesses and, and, and corporations keep more of what they earned, we'd see dramatically different economic growth and more revenues to, to, to uh, government. We've had the three highest uh, revenue years in history after the uh, Trump tax cuts. Uh, we saw that economic growth go with it, and it has been rewarding to see the corporate rate revenue sort of exposed in a way, because as you said, both President Trump and Secretary Yellen still cling, cling to the claim that corporate tax revenues are down 40 yeah, percent. Businesses aren't paying their fair share. And it's nonsense. It's been debunked. And I guarantee you they'll use it again next week. You know, that's, I think, the frustrating part here. President Biden and Yellen, but you're absolutely right. <clears throat> I mean, this is just more of these lies. They're big lies. They're As I say, it's like Russian Putin misinformation here. But I think they're losing that battle. I mean, uh, and again, to our listeners, I mean, you've heard me say this a million times, hats off to Congressman Kevin Brady for leading the charge on the House Ways and Means Committee, which is an absolutely vital committee. Really, Kevin, I think the only real growth we have right now is coming from the incentives from the Trump tax cuts, which we uh, Biden tried to overturn, but but he didn't. He failed. Yeah, I think that without that, we'd be in an even deeper hole. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any questions why. And and thank you for your leadership. As you know, you were there from the very beginning as we were putting together both the House um, uh, um, Better Way tax code and President Trump's tax plan and melding those together. So, you know, right back at you. Thank you for your <laughs> mentorship and leadership for so many years. So, look, don't pull yourself out of this equation because most of us here know the key role you played. But there's no question we had a stronger recovery from COVID. President Trump Look, brought back 12 million jobs mm. from April to the end of the year, more than President Biden has created since then in a big way. But I think right now what the White House and the Fed, I think, are both ignoring is what's going on in the small business world. And I've always thought they don't pay enough attention to them or they don't care. But but the small businesses are sort of the canary in the cold mine. They, coal mine. They, they, they sense what's going on in the economy quicker than others. They were the first ones to – to, to, to outline the worker crisis uh, that we we're having. Again, the White House and the Fed dismissed it. Inflation as well, because they see the impacts, behaviors of, of families and consumers because they're spending so much more on the basics because of this record high inflation. But right now, last week, I saw two reports that really troubled me. The first was that, um, that six out of 10 small businesses aren't sure they're going to sur- survive principally because of higher prices, because of inflation. The other 
is the the uh, NFIB uh, survey uh, that showed that uh, optimism among small businesses plummeted. It's mm. at the lowest level since they began surveying, and it's because they're getting hit triple mm. whammy, higher prices. They can't find workers, and they're still very much aware of President Biden's tax hikes that he continues to push for in this slim down build back better. It is that 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 they are still obsessed with it. I think they want to get something done before Congress leaves in July. And so this is I think businesses, small businesses especially, very much aware that they've got just a bunch of challenges hammering them at one time. And and if I were the president, I'd be paying attention to those job creators because they have a big impact on the economy. 36 tax hike proposals, 11 tax hike proposals on fossil fuels alone. In static revenue terms, a $2.5 trillion tax hike. Can you imagine what – I mean, they won't get it because the, the laugher curve – I mean, they'll damage the economy and the revenues will fall, not rise. But if yep. – could you just imagine you, – right, as you pointed out – by the way, I love these little ways and means – missives you send out like a couple of pages they're really very good they're, they're Thank all, you. you know you could go in the private sector kevin and sell this kind of thing <laughs> i'll anyway. be there soon apparently <laughs> anyway the point is you couldn't possibly shoulder a new tax burden because no. the, as as john maynard Keynes said inflation is the cruelest tax of all and that's what and you're saying here Here's, let me see. This is, uh, yeah, April 21st. Was that yesterday? Americans mm-hmm. should brace for higher and longer inflation than White House is willing to admit. I mean, I, I'm i afraid you're going to be right, Kevin. I really am. I, I think people are, uh, I don't know, they got their eyes closed. There's there's no remedy for this inflation. It's going to take years. It, 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 it is. And we could see this for years and years and years. And what what have you preached for decades now that so many of us have adhered to about the Fed, which is that sound dollar and price stability is at the foundation of economic growth and prosperity. And and if you take your eye off that ball, you know, if you're focused on how do we micromanage the economy or or incorporate uh, climate change into Mm. the Federal Reserve's, you know, type of mandates, you know, this is the price we pay for that. And the Fed is in Economically, a huge pickle here. Uh, I, I, I'm, I was, I was pleased somewhat to see them at least go to, to a, a half a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but boy, they are so far behind the curve. Kevin, on inflation, it just worries me. Kevin, let me take a quick break. You'll stay with us. On the other side yes, of the sir. break, we're just going to be out for two minutes talking to Congressman Kevin Brady, former chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, currently the ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking with Kevin Brady, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. He's a ranking member of uh, House Ways and Means. He ran the committee a couple of years back when we had the big tax cuts. You know, Kevin, just on this inflation point, I don't know if you saw the uh, op-ed piece by Senator Mitt Romney. I know he's not conservative's favorite, but Mitt's a pretty good economist. Mitt is a pretty good economist. There's a few things yeah. I might not agree with elsewhere. But he made a, a really great point um, and how they're killing the supply side of the economy. They're over-regulating, overspending, over-money printing. 
But the, the kind of the money sentence in this op-ed that I really like is basically, I'll paraphrase, that Biden should fire his woke staff, okay, that they are ruining him. And in the Fed, as you probably know, they are loaded with woke. In fact, Jay Powell keeps talking about climate change. Now, he's not in recent weeks because they're all panicked about inflation a year too late. But, um, you know, for my money, I'd have put Democrat Larry Summers in at the Fed. I would have put him in. He was right about inflation a year ago, and he made this great statement. He said, uh, we we got a generation of central bankers that are more worried about climate change and woke social policies than price stability. That was Larry Summers' best moment. He said it about six or eight months ago. Yeah. should put him at the Fed. I don't know. Is Powell up to it? I mean, you, you know, I, I, I've lost confidence in him. I, I did yeah. last year just as I was watching the just the denial on, on both the worker crisis and inflation and uh, and still pushing for more stimulus spending, you know, from the from Congress at the same time. We wouldn't have had that March disaster of a bill that, that fueled inflation without Jay Powell sort of, egging, oh. you know, Congress on. Kevin, I feel I- like they're. They're responsible in a big way. Responsible for this, they should have been the adult in the room, and they weren't. I don't mean to interrupt. God knows. No, no. I, I just want to say you are a thousand percent right. That is a really important point, which never gets made. Powell went up there. You are so right, Kevin Brady. He went up there in those hearings in February and March and supported the extra two trillion dollars, which blew the lid. Off inflation. And you know what? If this is that, Kevin, that is such a great point. You need to write an op-ed on that. That is like a really important point. Because years ago, now let me tell you, man, go back. You've been around. Paul Volcker, who was actually my former personal boss, but in any uh, way, during the Reagan during the Reagan years, Volcker would go up to the hill and visibly vocally attack spending and deficits. And remember also Alan Greenspan did the same thing in his heyday. Powell goes up there and just like a little lapdog, please reappoint me, please reappoint me, and comes out in favor of a bill that blew the lid off inflation. And and didn't even care what was in that bill, was mm. just looking at the big – how big a number could there be. So the stimulus checks – the programs that that created barriers, literally, so that people wouldn't return to work. He 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 passed all, no recognition of what mm. tax hikes would do and tax hikes that make America less competitive. What impact studiously avoided any of that. So yeah, I am I am very frustrated with his leadership because truth of the matter is we, we are in a much tougher situation now because of that. And and I'm not sure this Fed has the political will you know, to do what's necessary to disinflate. And and that means, to your point, years and years and years of higher prices. Yeah. Kevin, I'm telling you, the Powell on that budget fiscal stuff, that's a really important analytic point, and people lose that. Unfortunately. Yep. So, it, you know, the estimates, the current estimates for the CPI cost is about $5,000 plus per year for a yep. typical American family. I mean, there's a gigantic tax hike. And you see it, you know, real wages 
Real wages are shaky. They're coming off. By the way, real stock prices, you know, the stock market's getting slammed here. I guess they're worried that the Fed might actually raise rates a bit. But when you adjust stock prices for inflation, they're way down this year, too. Yeah, yeah. But you made a point that that, that shouldn't be ignored either, which is obviously uh, how do you tackle these higher prices? First, you know, stop making it worse, you know, with more stimulus or or more government spending or tax hikes that in this economy will will surface in higher prices as as well. But the point you made is the solution here is on the supply side. Mm. You need far more investment in in equipment, technology, supply chain, investment in the Amer- in America rather than overseas, as well as incentives to, that reward work, that pull another 2 million people off the sidelines and back into the workforce. And we're capable. These are primary work age uh, workers that should be back. And so at the end of the day, the supply side is the solution on inflation, in my view. Yeah, I love that. You know, we're sitting here with uh, 8 to 10% inflation, but 3.5% unemployment. It's a tight labor market. Mm-hmm. And the government and the Bidens want more welfare assistance programs with no workfare, no work yep. requirements, no education requirements, right? So we're really still paying people not to work. This Here, let me ask you about this. Uh, Javier Becerra wants a 90-day extension of the COVID emergency. Okay, right? That was what he asked for. Inside that, I'm sure you know this, inside that extension means that many of these welfare programs do not require able-bodied people to work. It's what part, I, I think that's, to me, you know, with, with these, uh, all these Democrats and socialist Democrats, that's the real key. I don't know if they're worried about COVID anymore. They just want to give, pay people not to work. And that's inside no, think- this Becerra thing. This is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, um, I, I'm not sure they I, – it's frustrating. They tout the higher wages without acknowledging any of the higher prices. Mm. They just they just scream at us when we talk about let's, let's get rid of the barriers so we can reconnect people back to the workforce as if we're accusing people of staying home because they're lazy. We're not. The incentives are there uh, to stay home. And the truth of the matter is um, we need to be ending – the COVID era programs. We need to end the programs. We need to get them out of the budget, you know, and out of the stimulus because it is about that Washington control in so many areas. They're stuck on that. And I think, again, their obsession is the reason they are going to be in the minority next year. Yeah, well, you're right. The cavalry is coming. There's no question yep, about that. It is. Kevin, it is. You, why are you, you're too young to retire. <laughs> What's up with I that? Know. Tell you what, I, though, I have to tell you, we've got <laughs> Ways and Means, Republicans, we've got a great bench of talent. I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, how they're going to lead in the majority. And Who's going to – who will be the chair? So uh, not known yet will be determined in December. The three uh, top leaders here are Vern Buchanan mm. from Florida, Adrian Smith from Nebraska, and Jason Smith from Missouri are all waging a really, yeah. you know, a competitive fight here. So we got a lot of talent. All good. Yeah, good. You're right. You're all good. All strong. Yep, we're good. You know, the last thing I want to say, um, we've got a couple minutes left. Um, Russell Vogt, who was OMB director. Yeah. And I and uh, Steve Moore 
we are setting up a project in the, uh, you know, this, our America First Policy Institute. Anyway, we're setting up a project to create a balanced budget model. Good. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, this is something that may take 10 years. Balancing the budget may take 12 years. I don't know. But it would be, you know, Kevin, low taxes make Trump tax cuts permanent. Deregulation and domestic spending. I mean, things and things like this NEPA. In other words, it would be a pro-growth balanced budget. Wouldn't be root canal. We're, we're not going to pretend to raise taxes, and we're going to try to refocus on that. You know, nobody really is talking I, about cutting. I think that is so smart for a couple reasons, and it doesn't matter how many years it takes to get back to it. The 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 impact is that we will begin to shrink the government in relation to the size of the economy. And that's where prosperity and fiscal responsibility happens. So I think you're, you're exactly on the right uh, path there. Thank you for doing that. Well, you know, we're just getting it off the ground, but uh, um, Brooke Rollins, who runs this America first policy and, you know, we, we need to refocus. No one wants to cut spending. No one talks about balancing the budget. People don't realize what these deficits will do. Actually, maybe, you know what? I might try to recruit you. I might try to recruit you to get into this well, project. I'd be interested in helping on that. Whoa, There's we'd love to have you. It. We would love yeah. to have you. Growth matters, but you got to constrain the spending side. Yes, sir. Limited government. Folks, this is Kevin Brady, the great Kevin Brady, Ways and Means Committee, speaking good sense. That business about Jay Powell promoting spending, that's a really key point. Anyway, good luck, Kevin Brady. We'll talk soon. Folks, stick around. I'm Larry Kudlow. Much more General Jack Keane on the other side of the break. Why does Joe Biden think he wants to give up parts of Ukraine? What is that about? It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great to be with you today. We turn now to the war in Ukraine, and we bring in our great friend and mentor, General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, chairman, Institute for the Study of War, Fox News senior strategic analyst, and presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, uh, General Keene, welcome back, sir. It's and, delighted to be here, Larry, as always, with you and your audience. Thank you. I want to get to the Donbass battle and the issue of weapons, but I just want to ask you, there's two things in the news this morning. One of them is uh, the new sick man of Europe. People, There's a picture of Putin. He looks like hell. He's bloated, stiff. Uh, I've heard these. See, I've seen these rumors before, and I just wondered uh, what, what you think of it. Well, I I don't really know. Um, I kind of try to take Putin now at face value mm. because I think multiple presidents, going all the way back to President Bush, to some degree, have always discounted Putin in terms of the seriousness of what he was about. Remember in 2007 at the Munich Security Conference, it's when he came in there and really set a stage saying that he completely disagreed with NATO expansion and all the former Soviet republics. 
you know, being a part of NATO, and he saw it as a threat that they were expanding uh, and putting weapons on, you know, Russia's border. And then in 2008, uh, President Bush invited uh, Georgia and Ukraine to join NATO, and um, Putin invaded Georgia. And I think uh, he has been on this path to prevent NATO expansion and to return to a Russian empire. And I think as long as Putin is in power, Larry, we got to we have got to take him at face value that his negative aggression to accomplish that is real and he will continue to persist in moving in that direction. And, and I think uh, that is what I have learned from this uh, in Ukraine. And, and we should have been arming and upgunning Ukraine uh, much more significantly than what we were doing. We're doing an emergency resupply now. This, is, this should have been pre-planned and scheduled, so it could have been an, an absolute deterrence against Putin. At the very beginning. So at the yeah. very beginning. Yeah, when absolutely. The, when we saw the troops coming, uh, it's a, you know always a, a dollar short and a day late. Yeah, that was March, actually. of It was 60 days into the Biden administration, and and we did nothing. As a matter of fact, the Biden administration delayed the, the shipment that was planned that very month, and it was planned by the previous Trump administration, so it was on the schedule for shipment. And given the troops showed up, the Biden administration did not send it. They delayed it to the summer. The reason stated they did not want to provoke Putin into invading. Mm. Mm. And we've been underestimating him in terms of what his real objectives are. Um, So I know there's rumors about his health. There's rumors about his isolation. I'm just taking it at face value in terms of what his intent is and what he's really doing to accomplish that intent and, and, and deal with the, the facts that we know. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure you're right. I mean, it's, uh, these health issues crop up, but he is who he is and he's doing what he's doing. And we just have to deal with that. There's no excuse or false hopes. And anyway, who knows who might take over after him? I mean, I'm not smart enough to know. Probably not going to change the strategy. Who knows? So let's go on now to the Donbass war. Uh, one question I have, sir, is I know, and you said this on our uh, Fox Business show, that a lot of new equipment is coming in. You like it. They're adding to it. The Biden administration is adding to it. Uh, I want to ask you, though, on the air power side, I mean, the troops and the tanks, they've gotten more equipment, the Ukrainians, that is. Do they have the necessary air power should, or should we be doing more? I mean, the, uh, General King, the MiGs haven't been delivered. The S-300s have not really been delivered. Uh, aren't they going to need strong air power? What's your outlook on that? Yeah, I, you know, I pursued this myself because I was frustrated that the MiGs didn't go. And so I I, I discussed it with uh, people in the Pentagon, and, and I— I, I have some confidence now. I mean, what, what's going on here is the Pentagon doesn't want to talk too much about this uh, because they don't want to denigrate 
the Ukrainian air power capability. But I was told by someone who really is in the know, and and he said, look, General, the uh, while the Ukrainian Air Force still has some MiGs flying, he said they really haven't been effective. Uh, and, and they're not going to aid consequentially in the fight for the Donbass. He said, so that's just the reality of what we're dealing with here. And he said, that is why we're pumping in as many drones as we possibly can, mm. you know, to, uh, to compensate for that reality. So I, I, I'll, I'll take that at face value. Um, you know, I've been critical. I, I thought we should have got it in there. Um, but that's kind of where they are now. Obviously we don't have those, those MIGs. They would have to come from another country. Um, this fight, it, it, you're putting your finger on something that's very important. It's very hard to win a high-end conventional combined arms fight uh, without having some degree of at least local air superiority while that fight is going on. And the Russians have that on their side, and that's challenging. Um, all and the, the strength of this in, uh, of this fight for the Russians is in terms of their army is their artillery they have lots of it hmm. their their infantry and their armor ground forces are very limited as we have seen in their campaign in the north around kiev and kharkiv as well and that's why they've made very little progress the concern i have larry is this artillery there's a lot of it and they are pounding the ukraine positions in so our audience understands that the Battle of Kiev, the uh, the fight really took place in the suburbs and the small towns north of Kiev on the east and the west. And the Ukrainians were able to use the cover and the concealment of the buildings in those areas to uh, to literally sneak up on the on the Russian columns and and take out hundreds of their vehicles at night as well as during the day. And the Russians were incompetent. They weren't protecting it by putting their infantry out to clear all of those buildings before they would come through. But they were they were pulling their artillery behind them to get the artillery so they could get it and surround the city and then pound the city. They were never able to get that artillery in play, and that is why they eventually left. Their artillery in the Donbass region is absolutely in play, and the positions, because they're in open terrain, Larry, are more uh, static. They're fortified positions, yet there's no natural cover and concealment in the area because the terrain is open and flat, not all of it, but most of it. And therefore, they're, they're digging trenches and fortifications. Hmm. Well, those are easy to find. You can find that by satellite. The Russians can find it by drones. And, and then they pound those positions with a degree of accuracy. My concern is that they have so much artillery that they'll just grind down the Ukrainian defenses where this incompetent infantry and armor formations will eventually be able to penetrate. That brings in two things that the administration has given them. One, drones that can take out that artillery, and two, artillery that can take out artillery. And they need to have the counter-battery radar, which we gave them, and hopefully we're giving them more of it. This is going to be a tough fight, and certainly on paper, the, advantage, the Russians have the advantage. Mm. 
because they got air power, they got a lot of artillery, and they got sufficient ground forces. In reality, you cannot underestimate the Ukrainians, and they have an opportunity to win this fight, Larry. They absolutely do. Can we, General, I want to pursue that um, because you, I got to take a quick break, sir, and come back on the other side of the break. I just want to say, I believe you were on my show Thursday. I think it was Thursday. It could have been Wednesday. And you said the most wonderful thing about this, we were talking about Mariupol, and, of course, the Russians uh, are taking it, I guess, overcoming it. But you said that any Ukrainian defeat will be temporary and that they will be back, the Ukrainians will be back, and that the Russians may hold the city, but they're not going to be able to keep the city. And I repeated that on the air, sir, after you left, because I thought that was the most remarkable analysis and and a little hope of optimism there. Let me take a quick break, folks. We are talking to the great General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, Institute for the Study of War, and, of course, uh, Fox uh, analyst. Sir, we'll be right back. Give me two minutes. I'm Cudlow, folks. Stay with When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here with General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, Fox News senior strategic analyst, presidential medal of freedom recipient. General Keane, I just want to go back. I, I think it was Wednesday night. I'm not sure. You came on the show, and we got to talking about Mariupol, Russians taking it over. And you just made the most wonderful statement. And because it came from you with all of your experience and credibility, I mean, you have the most extraordinary following, frankly. You said, okay, the Russians are going to take Mariupol, but they won't be able to keep it. And that the Ukrainians will be back to take it back. And um, that kind of optimism, I mean, I, I repeated it later in the show and I closed the show with that thought. And I just wish, if you would, sir, um, expand a little bit on that point. Sure. Well, the Russians certainly focused on Mariupol quite a bit because it's a seaport and it's in, in southern Ukraine. And they've always desired, going all the way back to 2014, when they invaded eastern Ukraine, they really wanted to take the entire Donbass region to include Mariupol. They only were able to take one-third of it. And that was when the Ukrainian military was nowhere near what it is today. 
But there were also uh, thousands of volunteer partisans who organized themselves into military organizations. They were not in the military. They were civilians. Mm -hmm. And they actually played a role. So here we are now. They, they de facto, they've taken the city. There's, there's people who are, who are, you know, in the tunnels of the, of the steel mill, and they're starving them out. Mm. And hopefully uh, some kind of humanitarian effort can be made here, at, at least to get the civilians out. I don't think the Russians uh, will tolerate uh, uh, getting the military out. But de facto, they, they have the city. They're advertising that in, in Russia. Uh, technically, they don't. But here's what I think will happen. They have to occupy the city. And most of the battalions that uh, that have been in that fight with the Ukrainians are, are are severely damaged, so much so that they likely will not be able to get into the Donbass fight. But nonetheless, they'll have to put an occupation force in the city, and they'll also put a government in charge of it. But over time, the Ukrainians will organize themselves into resistance organizations. And they will fight to take that city back slowly but surely. Mm. Uh, and we refer to that as an insurgency. They will organize themselves into insurgent groups, uh, not as an army, uh, and they will gradually attract the soldiers who are occupying the city. Mm. And in time, I'm convinced that the Russians will leave mm. because the casualties will just keep coming and coming, and it'll be a wear and tear on the Russian people mm. and what is happening at home. And this is what happened in Afghanistan to them. And uh, certainly uh, for eight or nine years, it was the people that forced uh, the uh, Russian leaders' hands at the time. The Ukrainians will fight as long as it takes to get Russians off their territory. Mm. But not months, but years, they will be in the fight. And any... And certainly no one can underestimate their determination after what we've seen for the last two months. Because they're brave, because they're courageous, because they want to keep their country. And they want to keep the way of life in their country, which isn't perfect, but it's a lot freer than anything Russia's going to have. No, absolutely. Now, I was in Ukraine twice uh, just prior to COVID. And uh, I, I, these are very hardy people. Hmm. They enjoy life. They're, they got a strong work ethic, and they look to the values of the West. They obviously they're, they're physically and geographically and historically connected to Russia, but that's not what they want. They want the West. They want the prosperity of the West and the value system of the West. That's what they're looking for. And I'll tell you why. All you have to do is mention Russia or Russians. And you get a you get quite a reaction from the Ukrainians over that. So they this is deep seated with them, and they 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 are not going to give up the fight for the territory that the Russians may claim. They'll they'll continue to fight to take that territory back, and they eventually will take it back. I'm convinced of it. Mm. And general, in our last minute, sir, the same citizen militias, you know, with, with the same loyalty to the Ukraine homeland, will they? strike back in Donbass? Well, in the Donbass region, what's fight, what's really fighting in the region is the, is, is the army is in the fight. Mm. And civilians are certainly uh, helping them. But it's the, it's the, 
their army, it's organized as a combined arms army. They've got armor formations. They've got infantry, got artillery. They have all the high-end conventional. That is really what's bearing the brunt of, of this fight. If the Donbass region is completely taken over, there are areas in the Donbass region where there are pro-Russian separatists, mm. uh, but most of the region is not. And they would certainly resist any territorial control uh, if, if that's what's going to happen. My one concern, Larry, real quick, is is that I, when I look at the Europeans and the United States, we're still not on the same page seeking victory and drive the Russians right. out. Boris, John, Boris Johnson wants that. But where is Germany and France? They're the other two leaders. And really what they're, what they're pushing towards, what Macron is pushing towards, and what Schultz is pushing towards in Germany, is they, they want a peace settlement. Mm. Well, the peace settlement, the pressure on the peace settlement, the peace settlement at whose expense? That'll be absolutely at the Ukraine's expense. The Russians will have more territory than what they had prior to February 24th. And that is okay with those Europeans. Mm. Well, that's not okay with the Ukrainians. And that's the position I really believe the Biden administration has had for a number of weeks. Well, the president said, I I don't mean to interrupt, sir, you know that, but the president said that the Russians will never succeed in dominating and occupying all of the Ukraine. I mean, that goes back, remember the incursion statement and all that? He still has not committed to a Ukrainian victory in the Ukrainian homeland. No, there's no doubt about that. And and I'll tell you, if if the ceasefire is called after the Russians take, if they're able to take more territory and they're looking to make a deal and solidify that, the pressure from France and Germany and the United States will be on Zelensky, I think, to take the deal. Mm. Because I think that's that has been what they their goal this entire time. Mm. And that's that. That is a terrible decision. Yes, sir. We need to help the Ukrainians win. Yes, sir. General Jack Keane, thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. Terrific stuff. We'll talk this week on the Kudlow Show on Fox Business. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side is David Bossy from Citizen United. We're going to talk about the Zuck Bucks, the Zuck Bucks that rigged the 2020 election even before the voting occurred. Please stay right here. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. We are uh, searching for our next guest, Dave Bossy. I'm sure he'll show up at some point in time. He's a dear friend. He's got a hot new political movie out that's a must-see. Uh, I just want to say that, that what General Keene was describing in Mariupol is just so important and hopeful and optimistic, you know, so that they're going to lose, Ukrainians are going to lose the city, have priority lost the city. But it's a temporary loss is what General Keene is saying. Because the Russians will occupy it, they will be very unpopular, and these citizen militias will fight back. So it's not over till it's over. And the Russians are trying to make a big deal about Mariupol, but it will be short-lived. Ukrainians love their hunt, their country and their home, and they're going to fight like hell to defend it. All right. We have the great David Bossi, who was president and chairman of Citizens United, deputy campaign manager to Trump presidential campaign. He's an old friend of mine. He's got a great new film out. It's called Rigged. 
the Zuckerberg-funded plot to defeat Donald Trump. David Bossy, welcome. And I want to apologize to you. We were going to have you on the TV show, but unfortunately, you know, you do a daily TV show sometimes, news elbows you out. But you're going to get a big audience listening to this. I want to do it. I want to do everything I can to sell your film. <laughs> everything well, I can. Hey, you know what? I, first of all, Larry, thank you for having me. And uh, you know what? Uh, the, the film's been incredibly successful. Uh, you know, the film uh, just came out. It's called Rigged. It just came out a couple weeks ago. And one week after it debuted, Mark Zuckerberg announced, "I'm not funding elections anymore." Uh, right. That's a big victory for. When you do something like this, Larry, you, 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 you've been through this. You never know what's going to happen. To get a clean victory like that for us is, is a big deal because not only do the American people deserve to know what happened in 2020, but they need to know that it won't happen again. Mm. That's, that, that's part of the equation for us is to not just provide the facts and evidence and using what we did. We did an analysis of their, their financials, their 990s, their tax returns. And that's how we uncovered what they did. And this information was just filed with the IRS in January of this year. Hmm. So it's eight, it's literally 15, 16 months after the election, we first got a glimpse of what actually Mark Zuckerberg did. He spent $400 million uh, off the books in dark money running through two nonprofits, Larry, 501c3s that shouldn't be participating in electioneering at all. Mm. Not that they did, but they were they they were run by hardcore leftists who spent the money in highly democrat areas to turn out the vote for Joe Biden. That's at the end of the day what they did. So you basically I mean this is a terribly important story. When Molly Hemingway came out with her book David, we had her on and gave it good play about this story, which needs yep. to be better known. So it's it's terrific that you're doing what you're doing in the film. Um, basically, uh, Zuckerberg poured all this money in. He may have been assisted, there, as you mentioned, dark money. I think there's another $100 million of dark money coming in that was never reported, never will be. But in any event, they put Democratic lefty operatives – in the guise of election helpers into key counties in swing states to bring out the Democratic vote. And you know what? Here, here's my – listen, you're, you're the really good political guy. Okay, I'm a policy guy. It's a different game, but we're very close related, and you've been a great friend. Um, this election, this past election, David Bossy, may well have been rigged against Trump before – any That's, official votes were actually counted. You, you, Is that you fair? Be more right. You yeah. could not be. That's my more read of correct. it. Correct. Yep. And by the way, we you say that on your show on the TV show mm -hmm. uh, with Steve Moore once, and we actually have that in the movie as a clip because oh, it's so important and powerful for people to understand. They changed the rules. You know, before before election day, during the election, and that's what they did. They used the cover of COVID. That oh, we're gonna this altruistic. We're gonna give this money. Mark Zuckerberg is gonna give this money to help out with a safe election in the pandemic. Well, the reality is, David Pluff, 
Barack Obama's campaign manager was the chief strategist of the Chan Zuckerberg initiative, which is where the money came from. These people who were Barack Obama acolytes, these and, and even hardcore leftists running the C3s that the money went to. It's like, it's like, Larry, it's like putting, it's like some rich Republican giving money to a C3 and putting, you know, Dave and Larry in charge of it and saying it's going to be nonpartisan. Yeah. Right? Like it's just, it's not, it doesn't, it begs credulity. It doesn't, it's not possible. And what they did, let me just give you a couple of numbers because it's staggering. In Arizona, in the Zuckerberg funded counties versus the unfunded counties, Biden outperformed Hillary Clinton's historic number oh. by 700,000 votes. And they only won, and I put one by ten thousand votes. So this is this is dramatic in 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 uh, in Georgia, mm-hmm. the hottest contested, the lowest, the the closest uh, uh, you know battleground state in the country. Forty five million dollars went through the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Forty five million. Ninety four percent of that money went to Biden districts. Ninety four percent. That's forty million dollars. Just going to the heavily urban centers to to cure ballots, absentee ballot programs, uh, mail-ins, uh, mail-ins, David, mail-ins, and and wait a second, harvested mail-ins by Democratic lefty operatives financed by Zuck. Right, the harvesting is so evil. And you could go and and look. I'm I'm putting out a lot of data here, but folks can go to rigged2020.com. Stream the movie from anywhere in the world, any on any device. Watch it for yourself. It gives you the facts and evidence to, that proves to you why President Trump, even though I, I, I don't agree with him on everything, uh, you know, as it relates to the 2020 issue. But it, this here, you know, it, it, he hosted this film. He held the premiere of this film at Mar-a-Lago. Did he watch it? it? Did he success. watch the He film? watched it with us. Yeah, Good. he sat and wa- watched it next to me. He was he was devastated by the outcome of the film. Yeah, see, he doesn't. He's never. You see, this is such an important point, David. He's never really absorbed this. Now, maybe he has uh, recently as a result of your film. Look, I had. Just give me a sec here. Yeah. Former Attorney General Bill Barr. Okay, mm-hmm. who had his differences with Trump at the end, but <laughs> I, sure. I I did a twenty-minute interview with Bill Barr, who was a old friend of mine and in my opinion a good guy and a solid conservative and bill agree bill said look the problem wasn't the counting of the votes the actual counting because you're counting counterfeit votes in the first place the, you can keep counting the same counterfeit votes you're going to get the same results the problem was what they did before the election to produce those votes he agrees with you bill bill uh, 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 david Barr agrees with you that it was, in, in my common parlance, it was rigged before any vote was counted. Yeah, and, That's and a different saw, argument, and it's a better know, I, argument. I saw that interview, uh, or heard that interview with Barr, and, and I was surprised by it, because he, and, and, and he even went one step further uh, with Savannah Guthrie, which she was shocked by the answer. He, she asked him the same questions. Well, you know, President Trump says, you know, this is a rigged election. It was, and he said the exact same thing you just articulated that he said. But he also said the the, the Zuckerberg funds must be investigated. Right. And, and right. so that's a big deal. That's a big deal for him to say that because I agree with you on his well, it, on for him to do that is a big deal. You know, it takes a good host 
to elicit responses. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, Barr is an old friend. He was very relaxed. He's not anti-Trump. They played that book up. You know, at the end, you know, Bill just said that the Justice Department looked at the counting of the votes. But the problem was those votes shouldn't have been there in the first place. And that's where the Zuckerberg fiasco. So that that's why you're on the money, my friend. You're on the money. here. You're right on the money. Well, thank you. And in the film, we have two people. The attorney general of Louisiana, Jeff Landry, who's a tremendous attorney general, second term attorney general of Louisiana and is the leader. And he saw this happening in September and October before Election Day. And he's the only one as a leader Mm. uh, 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 who sued the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is where the money was flowing through. And he stopped it in Louisiana. Mm. And there's an ongoing investigation right now that he's leading into that money. Where did the money emanate from? Who was making the decisions and how did it get dispersed into into Louisiana? And the reason that that's so important is it sets a blueprint for other states attorneys general to do the same thing, because we have to make sure this doesn't happen again. And then secondly, in Wisconsin, you have this former Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, who is who has said there's a there's a a. a big problem in Wisconsin. He has done an enormous investigation there, and he calls it an election bribery scheme, what Zuckerberg's money did there. So there's two ongoing investigations. We're not done with this yet, but I got to tell you, as a guy who try, put together this investigation behind, you know, into this film and, and into Zuckerberg's money, uh, it is unbelievable to have Zuckerberg understand the yeah you got him on the ropes you got him on the ropes now you got him on the ropes the next step is for elon musk to buy facebook (laughs) (laughs) david where do you see the movie where where can our listeners where where do you go to see the movie please please go to rigged2020.com you can stream it any device anywhere around the world there The, the, the amazing thing the power of facebook around the world is incredible but this film has been seen in over 60 countries in the world already, sure. and it's only two weeks old. It's, it's, I urge people to go watch it to get the facts and evidence themselves. Great stuff. That's David Bossie, president and chairman of Citizens United. And the name of the film is Rigged, the Zuckerberg-funded plot to defeat Donald Trump. This is an extremely important political movie. David, thank you, buddy. We'll talk soon. We'll get you back on the Cudlow Show, I promise. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to do some more on Earth Day and NEPA and why there's not going to be any more infrastructure construction projects in this country ever in my lifetime, okay, with about 10 million job losses. We'll be right back. Please stay. I'm Cudlow. Now back to the Larry Cudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Cudlow. I want to continue just a little more about the negative, destructive consequences of the Biden administration's perversion and undermining of infrastructure policy by using this NEPA. Remember at the top of the show, National Environment Policy Act, NEPA, and they put a bunch of environmental restrictions into this thing that I think is basically going to stop construction. Are they roads, bridges, highways? Uh, wind turbines, uh, certainly fossil fuels. Anyway, we've got Mandy Gunasikara. Gunasikara. Did I get it right? Mary, did I, uh, Mandy, did I get it right? Gunasikara. Gunasikara. Okay, I can do yes. that. 
Uh, Mandy is okay. former this is former chief of staff of the EPA, big job, and uh, she's a uh, visiting lawyer and she's with the Independent Women's Forum. Um, Mandy, it, I guess a couple things. Number one, does this rule, new executive rule coming out of the White House, uh, does it undermine or pervert or kind of end the infrastructure bill? Uh, I know it overturns the Trump reforms, but is it in fact going to stop, you know, infrastructure construction and building and lost jobs? I mean, you're an insider on this. Walk us through some of this. Yeah, certainly. So it really throws the $1.2 trillion investment that a bipartisan group of Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill just sent to the American economy. It puts that on hold. It throws it under the bus. And what's going to happen is as projects go through review, remember, NEPA is just a process statute. So that's all we're talking about right now. The way the agencies take a look at whether or not projects are going to have any environmental impact, now they have open-ended tools by which they can delay the projects from ever getting underway, um, you know, by 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 looking over and over and over and using terms like cumulative. So there's never ending open-ended reviews. So they're just going to be held up in this bureaucratic morass within the agencies and never actually get to the point where you have construction workers going to the fields, getting the jobs done and actually producing the investment the American people expect because of that trillion dollar expenditure that Congress just appropriated for this very purpose. Uh, Mandy, you know, um, John Barrasso, Senator John Barrasso, knows a hell of a lot about this stuff, said that he made a comment when I interviewed him, I guess Thursday night, that this uh, new executive rule allows decisions to be made outside of the NEPA process. What you think about that? Yeah, well, I think anytime you have an instance where it's easy for third-party interest groups to sue, then you take the process, instead of going through NEPA, which requires a lot of public disclosure and transparency and opportunity for the public and stakeholders to weigh in, when environmental groups uh, who love to sue the federal government, they will take that process into the courts, and there's times whereby the federal agencies would prefer to settle those decisions outside of courts. And so then you have the equivalent of backroom deals with environmental activists dictating stringent policy that has massive economic consequences that at the end of the day harms Americans' pocketbooks. And at a time when everyone's dealing with gas prices and inflation, the answer is not uh, more red tape and seeding really important oversight to third-party interest groups that we know don't have the best interests of Americans at heart. You know, one of the ironies of this is that uh, renewables, you know, which supposedly is what the radical greenies want, but renewable projects may be stopped. I mean, wind turbines require a lot of construction work. Uh, If you want to make them into, you know, uh, shift that, into uh, new uh, transmission lines for utilities. The same could be said of solar. Uh, I mean, their own stuff may be uh, stopped. Well, it makes you question the sincerity of them wanting to push everyone to wind and solar when they truly are shooting themselves in the foot 
um, and making it much more difficult for wind projects, solar projects, the transmission components, but also things like broadband, rural broadband. Um, oh. it's, it's just going to be difficult to mm. develop any of that infrastructure that is um, it, it's significantly needed. Yeah, you know, I forgot about that. So that would stop my 5G projects, which we launched yeah. in the White House with, under <laughs> yeah, great direction. That's a great point. The broadband thing. Well, I mean, is NEPA uh, kind of like the gate, the gateway? You know, they can go or no go. You got to get through. NEPA can close that gate. I mean, it sounds like they're using these cumulative uh, measures, social, uh, the social uh, uh, cost of carbon measures, direct and indirect, you know, upstream, <laughs> downstream. A uh, hundred years ago, Henry Ford, 1920, making cars wouldn't have gotten through. So is NEPA like the gatekeeper for all these projects? Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. For major projects um, that are done by the federal government, it is certainly the gatekeeper. And, you know, it's this administration at the end of the day, but despite what Joe Biden may get up and read off a teleprompter or attempt to read off of a teleprompter, they are very anti-development because they are ultimately sold out to these extreme eco-left interest groups that they're the, they're the latest derivative of keep it in the ground, the latest derivative of there's a population crisis, and they really don't want any growth. They don't want any development. And they are using NEPA as, as a very strong gatekeeper. They're closing those gates and they're keeping infrastructure development at bay throughout this country. You know, that's it. You hit it. No development, no growth. They don't care about growth. The far left don't care about growth. The Biden administration they don't care about jobs, really. Uh, they basically want social justice, equity, equality. Uh, I don't even want to get into the sex and gender stuff, racism stuff. But that's their yeah. goals. This is socialism. They want income leveling. They don't want. They don't want the market to expand. I mean, I I think that's absolutely right. And you know what? I don't. You know, they they claim to be for green energy, but that really is secondary. They just don't want any expansion. They don't give a damn about jobs. They don't care about blue collar workers. They don't care about hard hat construction workers or their families, you know, or the millions of restaurants and um, supermarkets and Lord knows what that supports these projects. They don't care. They don't care about that. I mean, really, their ideology. This is like extreme socialism. Yeah, it is. And and they use they weaponize the tools of the federal government that are meant to do good things we all agree about, improve the environment, but they take those missions, they co-opt them, and they weaponize them against the people of this great country to make them to make them um, feel like they have no control. They're not about empowering the public for growth and development like we focused on in the Trump administration. It's the complete opposite because they can sell their socialists future to people who do not feel empowered. And at the end of the day, it lands control back in the hands of the Democrat Party, which we know is destroying this country every single day that they are in positions of significant consequence. Yeah, you know, Mandy, think about it. At a minimum, with these new regs and these new measures, which are not scientific and not really empirical, uh, at a minimum, it's going to stretch out. You know, when we did the reforms for NEPA, Trump brought it down to one to two years for a decision. 
So at a minimum, they're going to go back to five, seven, eight, ten years and more because of the litigation and all the interest group stuff. But at, at a maximum, worst case, it's just going to, just going to stop construction. It is, and it, you know what? It isn't even. It's not just fracking. Although I want to drill, drill, drill. That's my view. It's not fracking. It's roads, highways, bridges, all the things that were sold in the infrastructure bill, which was not a great bill. But leaving that aside. We do need improvements. They'll stop that too. You know this. Here's one more, Mandy. Uh, this unplanned business. If you have a meaning, if if your state or county is growing faster and you want to expand whatever highways and bridges, it's unplanned. They won't let it go through. It's right there in the in the in the fine print. Yeah, it's they they want people to comport with this unrealistic uh, bureaucratic approach to city planning, which doesn't work. You know, we want private investors. We want businessmen and women actually making those decisions, which is why the Opportunity Zones program was so wonderful for really revitalizing rural America and the forgotten communities. But the NEPA provisions, you're exactly right. It's going to stall infrastructure development. The things that people need, I live in a rural area where there's a couple of bridges. Mm. You can't drive over anymore. So this is just an unfortunate outcome for the American people. Terrific stuff. Mandy Gunasakara. How's that? I think I got it. That was perfect. Gunasakara, former EPA chief of staff, uh, independent women's forum, and expert on all things NEPA and environment. Thank you. I'm Larry Kudlow. Folks, we're going to take a quick break and do some stock market work after the break. Stock market looking real bad. I'm saying just looking real bad. So take a deep breath, suck it up, and we will cover it. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Join us during the week. Fox Business, the name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. It's great fun. And here, by the way, you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com, right? LarryKudlowShow.com all across the country, throughout the world, and the solar system. We're going to do some stock market work, and boy, the stock market crowd has got its work cut out for it. That's all I can say. Market got slammed yesterday. The Dow is off almost 1,000 points. It's down 640 for the week. The... Um, S&P 500, the broad index, is now down 10.5% year-to-date. But you've got to remember here, inflation rears its ugly head again. Because uh, so year-to-date, and we'll call it four months, the CPI uh, for the first three months of the year uh, was up about 10%. So in real terms... You're not just down 10% on the S&P. You're really down almost 20% in real terms adjusted for inflation. And people know this. And market interest rates are rising. And the Fed is talking about being a little more aggressive, although they'll never be enough aggressive enough if you ask me. So we got some problems here. Our guest, distinguished guest, Michael Zanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes Media, and co-host of Forbes Sports Money on the Yes Network. And Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth, who will probably give us a high.
highlight for Notre Dame football. <laughs> kind of what he does. And by the way, speaking of Notre Dame football, Mike Ozanian, I know uh, Judge hit two home runs last night. Okay, good for him. But, you know, the Yanks kind of look this year like the Yanks of last year and the year before. If they don't hit the long ball, they don't score any runs. Although I'll say this, LeMahieu, who is my favorite guy, he's, a, he's starting to be his contact hitter again. I guess he's healthy. Uh, yeah, that's right. He was hurt all last year. Well, since we're the kind of guys that are always looking for the green shoots in life, <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will leave you with this, that this is the best start after this many games the Yankees have ever had with Aaron Boone. Uh, so there's that positive note. And also, I think you're going to see a trade. I think our friend Joey Gallo, I think the realization has come that yeah, New York might not be the best fit for get him. Rid so, get yeah, rid of I him. Get rid of him. I think he's going to be gone. So, you know, we've got some adjustments. Judge is starting to heat up. And the biggest thing, as longtime baseball fans, I think we agree that pitching yeah. is the most important part of the game, particularly as you get towards the big games and hopefully the postseason, our pitching has been very good, even without Garrett Cole pitching well. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's some green shoots there. I'm, I'm optimistic. All right. You're optimistic. More optimistic about the Yankees than the stock market. <laughs> yes, that's the key. That's the key. All right. So we had a, another rough week, Mike Ozanian. Uh, you know, the headlines are interest rates. Some bad earnings surprises. I mean, earnings are not all bad, but there were some bad surprises out yesterday, I guess, in the healthcare sector. A more aggressive Fed. So, Michael Zanian, how do you read it? I think we're only at the beginning stages of a bear market. I think the stock market's going to get worse. I think the economy's going to get worse. And I think what investors have started to realize is that all this inflation that we've seen in the last few months – is starting, to, is starting to get to corporate profits. Because you look at companies from Nestle to Procter & Gamble to all these big multinationals, they're coming out and talking about how much their huge increases in costs are for their products. And, you know, we've seen in everything from fertilizer to other commodities. And one way or another, that's going to hurt corporate profits because either the companies themselves are not going to Pass on, uh, be able to pass on the price increases. And if they try to, with real wages hurting, they're not going to sell as much product. So I think that's the big stickler right now. I believe Chairman Powell uh, is way, way, way behind the inflation curve here. I don't even know if he's started to tighten the money supply yet, which I think at some point he's going to have to. Yeah, it's still growing around 10, 12 percent. And they're cutting back on the so-called balance sheet, monetary base. But they're doing a, a little less than a hundred billion a month. They they got to move that thing down by I don't know three or four trillion, and they should be yeah, going. Look, I Kilberg, get you in here, Mister Notre Dame. I got you. Got they should be. They're talking about fifty basis points in May. There's a Wall Street rumor whispering about seventy five basis points. They should do a hundred basis points. In other words, if you get to 3%, let's just say the target rate right now is a quarter to a half. The Fed is saying they want to get it to, what, two and a half by year end, uh, maybe near 3% sometime next year. How the hell does that work? If the inflation rate is 10 and their target rate is two and a half to three, that's nothing. That's nothing. I mean, Volcker raised real rates 
humongously. I mean, I don't think Jay Powell doesn't have the backbone or the you know what to do that. He doesn't, Larry, and you're absolutely right. And I mean, he's a chicken hawk at the end of the day. This is one of the most dovish feds <laughs> we saw. An absolute 180 degree turnaround after being so accommodative. But to your point, when you talk about the balance sheet, I think you're absolutely right. And I know, Mike, I love your work. I love the stuff you put out there. That your view right now seems to be a glass half empty and maybe leaking, where I'm more optimistic. My glass is half full. And it is because of the fact that I think that balance sheet. They should be reducing it. But let's go back to last year. Why were they purchasing anymore? Mm -hmm. So they've been so behind the curve. They have to do something. However, I think the dovish nature of Fed Chairman Paul, he's, he flowed the balloon, and that's why we saw stocks really close on a sour note this week because they are going to do the 50 basis points. You're absolutely right, Larry. They should be doing 75 or 100, but they're not. I don't believe they are because that would be a misstep because so much uncertainty. If you think of what they were betting on, they were betting on this transition from goods to services to kind of naturally bring down the inflation, but that hasn't abated because we really haven't seen the global economy truly reopen. We've had fits and starts. We've had Omicron. We've had Delta. Every variant. We're still in lockdowns over in Asia. So I think this earnings season has been a really nice cross-section. Next week, we have 180 S&P 500 names. We're really hitting the stride, so one-third of the S&P 500. I think by far, what's been the narrative? The narrative is people are really flocking towards, at least investors are, some of these industrial defensive names. We're seeing the shift out of growth to value because the 10-year note moved from 150 basis points to Mm. start this year to nearly 3%. So there's a lot to digest, but the one thing I would kind of I'm going to come up for here in a second here, and I'll tell you, I'm actually in South Bend right now, Larry. We should be talking about Marcus Freeman and how amazingly fantastic he is. He's hosting 300 former football players I, this weekend here. Are you trying uh, out, but- Jeff? Are you, are you going to go into <laughs> spring practice? I think I got one series left to me. Who am I kidding? Larry? I got one play. <laughs> but, but to come up for air, I would say I'm optimistic on a lot of this, what's going on, but it's the velocity we've seen. It's been surreal, sensational. You would think I'm crazier than I actually am, Larry, if I told you the 10 year note was going to double in basis points. No, no, listen, wait so a minute. I got. Right? I, I, I don't know. Six months ago, I said 3% when it was one and a half. But, you know, Mike Ozanian. This is a situation, first of all, the bond market is in transition because it's beginning to figure out that the Fed is not going to peg the long-term rates. The Fed is not going to be there. Now, they will still be there to some extent, but less and less and less. So you got a bond market in transition. Rates are going to go much higher. So to Kilberg's point, Mike, if the Fed works slow, That just means inflation is more intense for longer and the rates are going to wind up having to go higher. If the Fed goes fast and tightens, which is what I wanted to do, you're still going to have a shock effect. So you just can't buy bonds. You can't buy bonds right now. I wouldn't buy bonds. Um, And the the other problem is um, I I definitely hear what Jeff's talking about, you know, coming out of the pandemic. and And I definitely agree that that's positive. But the difference is when we were coming out of the pandemic and things were starting to get better because of the vaccines and stuff, we left behind with President Trump positive pro-growth tax and regulatory environments and, and regulations. So coming out of this, we now are going to try to get deal with this inflation and tightening in an anti-business, anti-growth tax right. and regulation. And I think that 
when we contrast that with when Volcker was fighting inflation and what Reagan did, it's you can't compare. It's completely, completely different. And Reagan was cutting taxes. This guy exactly wants to raise right. taxes. Reagan was deregulating. This guy wants to re-regulate. You know, I, we talked earlier in the show, Mike, about these NEPA restrictions. You're not going to have another building project, roads, highways, uh, turbines, uh, fracking. They're going to cut all of that off because of these crazy left-wing, woke, climate change which, by the way, infects the Fed, Jeff Kilberg. The Fed is woke. And they, I mean, they, if these guys get, they're all going to get, I, I assume they're going to get through the three nominees. We did get, we got rid of the worst one. But there's another one in there, this, uh, what's her name, Lisa Cook. I mean, she's just utterly woke. That's why, I don't, look, long run, buy stocks. That's my view. Stocks for the long run. The cavalry's coming. You're going to see a big change in politics come November. So it's okay. Short run. Short run. uh, I don't know. I got to take a break. I'm just going to say short run. Oh, my gosh. Michael Zanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes and co-host of Forbes Sports Money on Yes Network. Jeff Kilberg, chief investment officer at Sanctuary Wealth and the assistant Notre Dame football coach. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back after this. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking about a a difficult and disappointing stock market and related matters. It's a tough period. Mike Ozzani, assistant managing editor of Forbes Media and co-host of the great show, Sports Money Yes Network. You know, Mike, I've been watching your show. Very, I appreciate it. Very, Thank very you good. so much. I appreciate it. Very kind of you. No, it's very good. And it's very good because of your tremendous knowledge. Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth, who's uh, trying out for Notre Dame football spring. Fellas, <laughs> <laughs> let me just posit this. Um, industrial and agriculture commodities are rising, still rising. The five-year CPI break-evens rising. They're up to 3.5%. The 10-year note nominally is now moving towards 3%. So I don't care what saber-rattling the Fed is doing, Jay Powell and all that. Indicators are showing more inflation, not less. Wall Street has this Panglossian view that inflation is peaking and it's going to come down. I mean, it might come down for a month or something because of energy. But, um, Mike Ozanian, I don't see inflation coming down. That's all. And I think, I think therefore, kind of these worst-case trends are going to continue. Yeah, I agree. And another thing that I really focus on, you know, the two things really that are the best bellwether for me in terms of the direction of the market the corporate profits, which we've talked about, but mm-hmm. also the dollar. Is the dollar strong? Is the dollar stable? And the answer clearly is no. And I think, unfortunately, that's going to remain the case for the next several months for what we were talking about with Powell's policies prior to the break. I do think you could play this, though, with, like, say, an ETF that's into commodities. I mean, commodities, mm-hmm. what, up, up, you know, up significantly year to date with the market down. Uh, so, like, you know, if you look at an Invesco ETF, ticker symbol DBC, I think that's a great place to park some money. 
Um, and then because I'm just not all academic here and I, and I like to go with my heart too, there's a piece of me that really <laughs> likes Twitter. And maybe it's just because I'm really rooting for Elon Musk. Yeah. Succeed. But, but uh, you know, there's some arbitrage there. The stock is down a lot. It's not, you know, look, he's one of the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs in the history of this country. And he saw great value there. So just like some people like to ride on Warren Buffett's coattail, mm. you know, I, I think an investment in Twitter in the long term is a good idea. Oh, I love that. I love that. First of all, he's my free speech hero. I agree with you. He's the smartest entrepreneur ever. But also, I don't know if you saw the latest. I just saw a piece of it this morning. Um, he might combine Twitter, Tesla, and SpaceX. Right. Now, that is very cool. And he can raise the money. He can raise the money. Of course he can raise the money. Jeff Kilberg, would you buy that? Of course, you might not buy it. He might take it all private. But what do you think of the uh, scenarios from uh, Elon Musk? That could be one plus one plus one equal about seven. So, yeah. 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 More importantly, Larry, if you don't want to buy Elon, you definitely don't want to short Elon. And Mm. that's been evident in the Tesla stock. But what's interesting, just kind of add on to what Mike, we're really focused because I do believe, too, that this is the opportunity to be picking sectors as well as individual Mm. stocks. And, you know, I know one of your favorite songs out there is Justin Timberlake's bringing sexy back, but you know what's sexy these days, Larry? <laughs> it's boring stocks. It's bringing back boring stocks. So we talk about our essential 40 names. These are the names I kind of got forgotten about. Nutrien, Archer Daniel Midlands, EPD, Dow Chemical, of course, Berkshire, Delta, Duke Energy, Chubb, some of those names that had no love. So as we see this grappling wrestling match from growth to value, you are seeing boring become sexy again. And then the last thing I'd say is why I'm a little bit more optimistic in how some of the tangible, you know, you see this inflation, you feel this inflation, but what's offset by it? We are going to see a record buyback this year. Last year, $882 billion of stock was purchased back, repurchased by companies in 2021. Goldman, our friends at Goldman, are forecasting it's going to be over a trillion dollars in buybacks. That's a bit in the market, right, Larry? So they're going to buy it back cheap as it's falling. That's right. All right. Well, that's, you know, I don't like buybacks, but that's a semi-intelligent strategy. I will grant you that. Uh, I just want to say, Michael Zanian, you know, the funny thing is you mentioned the dollar. The dollar is very weak against commodity indexes, real resources, but it's actually very strong against other currencies, the DXY. But here's to complete this conundrum, and I'm not sure I understand this. So the strong dollar, but import prices are soaring. Import prices increased 12.5%. For the 12 months ending in March, even with the dollar that is strong against other currencies. Yeah, I would trust and lean much towards the dollar versus commodities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, your friend, Mr. Taylor, I, I love the Taylor rule. Mm-hmm. I just believe that. And, you know, I know everything that I've been talking about here are things that are probably not in vogue anymore in Washington, but I, I believe that. I think things like gold and commodities are a much better indicator of the strength mm-hmm. in the dollar than, than yeah. uh, other currencies, which I think are also very weak right now. Well, they, no, they're doing the same thing. You know, they're just printing yeah. money left and right. Uh, Europe's inflation rate is almost the same as ours. Um, th- by the way, do you know what the Taylor rule uh, predicts? I mean, the Taylor rule comes up with? No. 11% Fed funds rate. That. 
How about that? That makes sense to me. Jeff Kilberg, last last minute. Jeff Kilberg, you know what I-bonds are? Treasury I-bonds? Yes. So what's the... They be, they go up when the CPI goes up. What's the yield? I think it's 10%. And that's been the hardest component of any portfolio that we're managing right now. So the fixed income side, we're actually looking more in private credit, Larry. I think you have to understand opportunistic credit where you can get yield. But the rates right now, I don't think this battle is going to end anytime right. soon. But be optimistic. We are seeing long run, long run, term election, long run optimism. The, market up. the cavalry's right. coming, no question. Michael Zanian, Jeff Kilberg. Take a break, folks, and we've got Liz Peek and Steve Moore on the other side of the break talking money and politics. I'm Cudlow. Please hang out with us some more. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great to be with you. Please join us during the week. Fox Business, name the show's Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every single day. And the next two guests are regulars who have made that show a great success. My eternal gratitude. We bring back Liz Peek. Fox News contributor and columnist for everything. Steve Moore, Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And his latest book is Gubzilla. Steve and I were down in Hotlanta yesterday yeah. at the America First Policy Institute. Stephen introduced me, and it was lovely. Stephen is my brother. Steve, you are 30 years worth at least. You're my brother. Anyway. It was a great time. Great time. It was a lot of fun. Um I don't even want to do this, but I kind of have to do this. Uh, I'll start with you, Liz. Um, this Kevin McCarthy story, uh, you know, did he did he say Trump should resign? Did he tell Trump? There's a tape that's out there. I mean, this was in the heat, really the fog of war right after the January 6th mess. And there's no telling. Kevin denies having said that. Trump issued a statement uh, saying he's fine. He's, he likes Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and McCarthy's going to be the next speaker. But Liz, go ahead. Take a whack at it, if you would. Well, it, honestly, I, I'm sort of with you. Um, the I think that there is such an enthusiasm on the left for <laughs> any kind of uh, GOP infighting. <laughs> yeah. right. I tend to sort of dismiss these stories as, A, possibly not credible, and B, not very important. I mean, Kevin McCarthy is going to be the next speaker. I really do think there's um, a lot of people who still support President Trump, but they also know that Republicans have to win the House. They have to have credible leadership of the House. And by the way, as you point out, McCarthy supposedly said this uh, when the world was falling apart around us. I mean, it, it, you know, let's move on. And by the way, every time we get mired in this kind of gossip and speculation and so forth. It's a win for this kangaroo court, which I really think the January 6th investigation on the Hill is. And I hope it's shut down pretty soon. I hope it's over pretty soon because it's just a cudgel Democrats are using to discredit Republicans. That's it. Yeah. Steve, what are you thinking? I can't improve on that. I mean, yeah, I yeah, know. I Liz, Liz nailed it. Liz, just Liz nailed, nailed it. it. I mean, it is, yeah. it is a diversion tactic uh, to, to change the subject from anything but uh, Biden's performance on the economy, on the border, on uh, Ukraine, and so on. And, and look, as she said, this is a story that, what is this, a year and a half old or something? Mm. And all of a sudden it reemerges. So, uh, look. 
Kevin, McC- is, Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker. And look, there's a decent chance that Donald Trump could be president again yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think if that happens, I said this on Fox News earlier this morning, I think they'll be a great team. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like. The New York Times comes up with this. I just love this. The New York Times. No problem. Title 42 overrunning the border once again. Inflation. No one's going in back. The White House just issued a bunch of environmental regulations that will literally stop construction of infrastructure in my lifetime. And they're going after this little uh, nonsensical thing. I mean, come on. You know, Larry, you know what's the biggest story to me right now? And and I think you guys, I'd be really interested in your take on this. I think corporate America is either waking up or at least has been kind of rattled now hmm. by by the fact that people are beginning to push back on their taking a stance on all these woke ideologies and inserting themselves into policymaking in our country, where I really don't think people think that the CEO of Disney is an elected official. You know, I mean, I think I think this Disney story is really important. I think it's important that Exxon is not going to allow the Black Lives Matter flag or the rainbow flag to fly, fly from their corporate headquarters. I think it's really I think really one of the big forces at work in our country right now, which a lot of us are dismayed by, are, is corporate America, which has sort of forgotten. It's lost its way. Mm. It's no longer about making profits. It's about working for the social good or their interpretation of the social good, which a great many of us really disagree with. So I, I actually think, uh, I think this is very scary for Democrats because, boy, oh, boy, have they got a lot of support for their policies and their candidates from even the Chamber of Commerce. Holy mackerel. Remember, they backed, I think, 32 candidates uh, for Congress in the 2020 election. This is a big story. And I I really think um, it deserves all the three of us talking about it. Yeah, no. (laughs) I'm laying that down. (laughs) No, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's good. Steve, think about this. Um, What comes to mind is, first of all, Elon Musk. Yeah. uh, And his assault. Uh, on the suppression of free speech, but he's doing it, if you will, in the business sense. He's not waiting for legislation. He's just going on ahead and do it. And then the other one is political with DeSantis cracking down on Disney. Um, what do you think about that? The tide is turning in the board. By the way, Liz, Liz I didn't know about the Exxon thing. Yeah. I, that's and of a course very they're interesting. getting hammered for it. But, you know, think about Exxon. There's a company that no matter what they do, I mean, they practically disavowed being in the oil and gas business. <laughs> <laughs> make the woke left happy. You're and it so hasn't right. earned them it yeah. hasn't earned them a penny. <laughs> and so now, they, you know, why wouldn't they strike back really at all these leftist activists? Because they're not going to ever get them on their side. So, you know, stand up for, for neutrality. That's the point. And that's kind of Elon Musk's point. How about neutrality? Anyway, didn't mean to cut off Steve. No, go ahead, Steve. Uh, well, just a couple of random thoughts on this. I mean, number one, um, look, I, I remember when I was a kid and on Sunday nights, we gather around the TV and turn on uh, the wonderful world of Disney. And yeah, it was wholesome. Right. right. It was wholesome. Yeah. It was family. It was it was conservative. And, you know, it was the top show on TV. Well, Disney is probably rolling over in his grave today to see what's yeah. happened to this company. And... Uh, <laughs> 
it's sickening, really. You know, and so, and I don't necessarily approve of, I love Ron DeSantis, by the way. I think he's the best governor in America. I'm not, this is a little bit of a heavy-handed tactic that he's using. But yeah. I'm just shocked that how much these corporate marketing people that are supposed to be geniuses have just re- misread America. This is a conservative country. Yeah. <laughs> it is a conservative, you know, it is a uh, center-right country that if we are we are tolerant people. And But this idea that, you know, you're going to teach second graders about uh, sex uh, and yeah. have transvestites. I mean, it's sickening. And it's so out of touch with middle class, uh, you know, America that it makes me wonder, you know, who's running these companies? Now, well, one other quick point. Um, I, you know, I go back and forth. It, it sounds like, uh, Liz, you're kind of optimistic that the companies are turning in the right direction. But then you see the American Petroleum Institute. We had an mm. item in this in the hotline the other day. Mm. They backed the carbon tax. <laughs> I mean, my God, how stupid is that? Yeah. And they think somehow if they back a carbon tax, that'll get the left greenies off their tail. No, it won't. They, they no. now smell no. blood in the water. And, and they make more and more of these concessions. Uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. We used to talk about the suicidal corporate impulse, and I still see that in the boardrooms of America. Um, Liz, yeah, I, I, I want to ask you just um, on the DeSantis thing. So, so I'm a person who, first of all, admires what DeSantis do, has done. Uh, I also think he was dead in the water right uh, to go after this law and stop this crazy gender and sex brainwashing, you know, for five-year-olds. Okay, 100% right. And he got it done in the legislature, and that's the law. And it's, you know, it's not only pro conservative values it's pro parents so yeah. that's that's fabulous but liz i'm not sure i'm really not sure he had to shut down disney's self-governing status and tax status i mean i don't well, it's now when you read the thing it doesn't take effect until june of 23 which gives you uh over a year to sort of kiss and make up i guess but I just kind of thought that was as much as I agree with him on the education in the classroom and the sex and gender abolition. I just thought it was a little gorilla like to go after their governing status. Yeah, what's interesting, of course, is it really puts Democrats in a difficult position because they have long railed against the special treatment that Disney gets in the state of Florida. It's pretty special. I mean, if you have read it's what, 60,000 acres or some enormous amount of land where they can impose taxes, they can undo all the local environmental regulations if they want to build something. Hmm. So Democrats hate that. They hate the fact that Florida has given Disney this kind of free ride, if you will. My guess is it means that that particular part of Florida is very well run because they probably (laughs) build things lickety-split, you know, without any environmental hassles and all the rest of that stuff. But but I do think, uh, you know, I think DeSantis kind of said, look, uh, we have given you this special privilege of living and being a corporate citizen because it's been for the good. If you now, as he said, a Burbank, California company want to behave in such a way that we don't think is longer uh, any longer warrants that, you know, I think it's OK. I mean, mm-hmm. it, if they want to undo it, they can undo it. But. But I really, I, uh, I think we have really got to deal with the malevolent effects of some of these corporate policies. And, uh, you know, to Steve's point, I think um, 
that, that a lot of it has to do with this Florida bill and so forth and so on. But this has been going on for some time. And the fact that it all started when corporations said, well, our our uh, in, uh, you know our cause is not really making profits. It yeah. is taking care of a wide array of stakeholders. And by the way, who is running? Steve asked, who's running these corporations? I will tell you. I know some of these CEOs. It is the young woke employees, mm. mostly women, and they are scared to death of them. They're scared that they're going to start on social Wait, Liz, media blasting with, them with Ivy League. Liz, with Ivy League that's education, exactly with right. Ivy League yeah. credentials, always, yeah. right? So important. By the way, I love this. Exxon took the BLM flag down. I yeah. I didn't see that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know. I, I got to find – do you have a – is there a story you could send me on that? Uh, Text me, email me. It's in the paper. I, I, I'll right. look for it. I'll look for it. Yeah. I, I see a possible segment. On the on the Fox Business <laughs> yes. Show, really, that's that's a big win for Exxon. But you're right. If you look at their ads, and now there's, as Steve said, the uh, petroleum ministers yeah. come up for carbon tax. What business is Exxon in? You dopes. <laughs> your oil and gas. You know, admit it, own it, and do yeah. it well. Like make but, cleaner and cleaner oil and gas. Yeah. That's what Larry, you're supposed have you to seen- do. Look at the look at the ads that Chevron and BP and yeah. even Exxon put on the. It's, it's not about oil and gas. It's yeah. about oh, we're into biomass and we're building windmills and all this stuff. It's like, are you really embarrassed about what you no, do? No, that's you know, right. How hard is it to make the case? It's that, pathetic. That we provide the power for America. And anyway, what a great story. With the new, and let me make one other quick point, if I may. Yeah. Profits. You said that word. Profits. Profits. The Profits mother's milk of stocks. Good. Yeah, I'm, not only is it the mother milk of stocks, it's what it's with profits is the greatest thing that ever happened. Why, you know, without profits, we'd be living in caves still. <laughs> this, this is what created the free enterprise system. You you know what Kemp, remember <laughs> Kemp used to say, the trouble with the Democrats is they love employees. They just hate employers. That's what Kemp <laughs> used to say. And and then he would follow up by saying, you can't have capitalism without capital. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. God, I miss Jack Kemp, honest to God. We're with Liz Peake of Fox News and Steve Moore of FreedomWorks and Committee to Unleash Prosperity and all things that are good. We'll be right back. I'm Kudlow. Please stick around. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking money and politics with Liz Peake and Steve Moore, two of the best of the best. My goodness. Uh, so I have another one that's uh, – I guess I'm being very political today, but um, I don't know if you uh, kids know Neil Freeman, who was Bill Buckley's roommate at Yale, and uh, he was and, uh, one of – By the way, his – his his son is James Freeman, yes. who's with the Wall Street Journal. Yes, great, and, great family. Very. And James writes fabulous columns. Right. So Neil Freeman was one of the original founders of the National Review, and all that went with that. He's on the board. He may still be a board member for all I know. He's a very dear friend of mine. Uh, anyway, he wrote uh, a piece called "Divorce Florida Style." It's an NRO. So I posted on NRO. Neil now lives in Florida. I think full time. Um, he's a TV producer and, as I say, editor and founder of National Review. Anyway, he kind of goes through this thing about Trump and DeSantis. And Neil 
And Neil is an astute political guy. I'm just going to say, even though I don't really like this article, but he gives a 70 to 80 percent probability that Trump and DeSantis are involved in a high speed collision on I-95. Failing to reach amicable settlement, Trump and DeSantis will resolve their issues, James Dean style, with a game of highway chicken. So he's basically saying they are going to collide. Um, DeSantis going to run. I don't know if Trump's going to run, but I think Neil thinks he might run, but they're going to collide. What do you guys think about this? I mean, DeSantis has kind of risen up right as the uh, biggest alternative to President Trump. I don't want to demean Mike Pence or any of the others, but, you know, DeSantis is a big shot now. What do you think, Liz? Fight Trump Uh, versus DeSantis collision course? Well, I kind of agree with that um, Mm -hmm. because – because why? Because DeSantis, I think most people would say, is peaking, uh, or he's close to that. He's, he is very prominent. He's done a lot of things in Florida that are controversial, that have brought him to national attention. Uh, and he has become a real darling of people on the right, including people who like Donald Trump. I, I think I've said before to you, and, and I know you disagree, I don't think Donald Trump will run mm. in 2024. I just think there are too many legal, personal issues that would make it very difficult for him. And I don't, I, you know, I don't really know that his family would approve of it, endorse it. Um, and I just think there's so much baggage. You know, I, don't, I think the idea that he might lose would be just horrifying to him. So mm. DeSantis is a great disciple. I know they aren't at that point of making the decision yet. I mean, Trump is not going to give him his blessing, certainly, anytime soon. Um, but I think DeSantis has got the... I, I think he's a much stronger candidate than mm. Mike Pence. Mm. Uh, so I guess I wouldn't necessarily take issue with that. I don't have... By the way, Liz, I don't have a view whether Trump will run. I mean, I talk to him regularly, but I never talk politics. You know, I've never asked him and he's never said to me. So I honestly don't know. My instinct in my gut is that um, he'll look at the landscape after the midterms. Mm-hmm. He'll flirt with it. God knows. He'll flirt with it as he has. But I'm not saying he – I just don't have a view on it. Steve Moore, what do you think about a collision between these two Florida heavies? I think it's a disaster for the two of them. Both of them are hurt by this, and there is a little bit of a mini rivalry that's developing. But if I were advising Ron DeSantis, I'd say, you know, what, what, there's no reason to be criticizing Trump. And mm. by the way, Trump should be trumpeting the things that Ron DeSantis is doing. Uh, and that would only raise Trump's um, approval. So mm. I, I, I don't know how serious this rivalry is. Um, I want to mention one other quick thing about DeSantis, because, you know, the, the whole Disney thing really overshadowed something, another amazingly fantastic thing that he did. This guy has a spine of steel. Did you guys see that he is? He wants to abolish uh, university tenure? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, how great is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, who? I don't know, Liz. Do you have tenure? I don't have tenure. <laughs> have right. Tenure I mean, why is it that this protected class of, you know, uh, professors, Never get fired. They 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 teach three hours a week. They get three hundred thousand dollars a year. Let's have some accountability at our universities. You know, I have tenure based on every night's last night's ratings. <laughs> exactly. Ratings go ratings go down. I'm out of here. 
<laughs> yeah. Don't you love the fact, by the way, that, I do. that you know, what, what do university professors do? They grade people. But, oh, my God, we can't be graded. No, no. I mean, no, we don't want to be graded. Same thing. I mean, we, this is one of the most important things is getting rid of bad teachers, bad mm-hmm. bad. You know, K-12 teachers, bad professors, and rewarding the good teachers. I mean, that will improve education tremendously. Did you see what happened in Boston where they're considering taking over control of the Boston public schools, the state is? I I just think it's interesting because these school districts go on and on utterly failing kids, and particularly kids of color, kids of low-income homes, et cetera, and no one ever does anything. And finally, in Massachusetts, uh, at least one legislator or someone on the school board has actually said, you know, I I don't feel good about this. We're not really Mm -hmm. doing what we need to do for these kids. I mean, hello, yes, that's right, you're not. And this, if, if we actually have any ambition in this country, and I hope we do, that every kid has a good start, every kid has an opportunity to climb up uh, through the ladder of opportunity, then this is where it starts. And boy, you can't get anyone's attention, including Democrats on it, because they're so in bed with the teachers' unions. To me, that is the biggest failing of our country. I agree. Yeah, you know, just thinking about New York, Liz. Mm. You know, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, a state takeover of New York City schools would probably be worse. Yeah, that'd probably be worse. <laughs> I agree. Because, you, I mean, you well, know, you've got all these communists running – I'm sorry, yeah. socialists no, no, I, I think that's totally running true. the legislature. Oh, my God. They're as yeah. bad as the socialists. I mean, the socialists here in New York are just as bad as the socialists in Albany. But then again, the socialists in Albany are mostly from the New York districts. <laughs> so that isn't cool. I think school choice – Private schools, school choice, religious schools, that's the only hope. I mean, they're all government schools, public schools, and they just have failed, damn it. They have. You know, they just, just, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Sorry. There's one exception to what you're saying. I mean, and that is there has been one school reform over the last 20 years that has really improved the uh, education of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids, and that's charter schools. Yes. And guess yeah. what? Yes. They want to get rid of charter schools. Yeah, no, that's right. That you know, little... These are oftentimes public schools. I know I have a lot of friends who live in Washington, D.C. They've been able to get their kids in these charter schools. They love them. And by the way, if they don't like it, they can send their kid to another school. Competition is a great thing. Why in the world, Liz, is the left against charter schools? You know, it, it's just a, it's just the political lock that unions have mm. on on the educational establishment, and it's all about, unfortunately, aggrandizing the unions, uh, garnering power and money for the unions. Not even the teachers. Teachers don't get paid very much, but the union officials are pretty well off, mm. and they don't want to let that go. I mean, it's a horror to me. It's and a horror because there's the most hypocritical thing it, it imaginable in our country. And the Bidens, by the way are opposed to school choice, particularly kids opposed to any religious-affiliated school yeah. choice. All right, we're going to leave it there. You two are fabulous. Liz Peek and Steve Moore, we will see you both on the Cudlow Show on Fox Business Network this coming week. And, uh, folks, I'll be back here on radio next Saturday. Thanks for listening.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 